0: Hello and welcome to Making UX Work, the Give Good UX Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Natoli, and our focus here is on folks like you doing real, often unglamorous UX work in the real world. You'll hear about their struggles, their successes, and their journey to and through the trenches of product design, development, and of course, user experience. My guest today is Lisa Basket. She is a veteran digital designer with over 17 years of crafting experiences for a wide variety of clients, from one-person business ventures to big brand enterprise organizations. Currently, she specializes in the less visible side of UX design, namely research and strategy. As a woman of color in the world of tech, Lisa has had to overcome more than her share of racism, sexism, and harassment. And during this very candid conversation, I couldn't help but deeply admire her tenacity, her bravery, and the fact that she remains absolutely committed to leaving those obstacles in the dust. Here's my conversation with Lisa Basket on making UX work. So Lisa, how are you?
1: I'm great, Joe. How are you today? I'm very good.
0: It's Friday. It's the end of the week. Yes. (laughs) That's my favorite day.
1: It's it's been a long (laughs) week for me. This is good.
0: Yeah, what's going on for you this week?
1: Um, I'm doing a lot of user testing and all the challenges that go along with that. Uh. Trying to explain it to the client and get the right results. Because as you know, there's a lot of bias that goes into that that you have to be aware of. And weeding out the people that have a certain preconceived notion of what you're trying to do Mm -hmm. uh, so you can get really um, valuable results is a challenge.
0: Yeah, most definitely. Are you getting... Do you have do you have buy-in? Or are they or is the client down with the program here?
1: Fortunately for me, and I think it's probably the first time in my career, I've I've got um, a blank check from the client. <laughs> I can do whatever I want because they're really wow. they're they're not only desperate but they really really want to make a change. So for me, that's a it's the ultimate position to be in as a researcher and tester. Yeah, and most
0: definitely rare. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and you're intimating at something that I believe is true. And that is clients are most receptive <laughs> to some of these things when they're feeling an extraordinary amount of pain.
1: They are, they are a retailer and and they're in the grocery space. So mm. uh, Amazon is coming for them <laughs> and they're, yeah, they're yeah. feeling the heat and they're like, we have to make a change and we have to do it now. And we're trying to get them to balance the urgency with working smart. And that's been a bigger challenge than getting them to buy into what we want Mm -hmm. to
0: do. Getting them past the fear.
1: The fear and the speed with which they want to do it because there's a proper way and then there's the quick way. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's when they're, you know, when, when organizations are running scared, patience uh, is in short supply because everybody's really stressed.
1: Yeah. And they're so reactionary and I'm trying to explain to them that the complaints are, are a certain segment of people that are motivated to complain. Yeah. And then there's this entire much bigger segment of people who don't have the time to even respond. And then there's the ones with the positive comments. So you have to add the positive with the ones who are indifferent and then look at it that way. And then the complaints don't seem as big, you know?
0: Yeah. What what channel are the complaints coming through?
1: Uh, They have, um, they collect voice of the customer data through Mm -hmm. uh, customer comments on a regular basis. Yeah. So, they have a steady stream of people coming with all these very uh, passionate things to say. Um, sure. And they do have some serious challenges on their their online experience. They have separate websites, separate experiences for curbside pickup and the regular in-store, just people shopping online and adding to their shopping list. Uh-huh. So those two things are separate right now, and they want to merge them together somehow. So it's a big sort of restructuring of things.
0: Sounds like it. Is that because they're two different systems? Yeah, yeah.
1: data is, it does not share across, so mm-hmm. it should. Yeah, of course. Especially with products, but at, at the moment it does not.
0: Right. So, out of curiosity, are you? Is there a an integration happening where you're literally building something new that covers both, or are you working with a different platform altogether? How's that? How's that happening, or how's it planned to happen? I mean, I know you're not maybe not there yet.
1: They have multiple vendors working on separate initiatives, which is not ideal. Um, So one is working on merging the two systems. We're doing a fix and repair, which is more of a Mm Band-Aid, but we're trying to make it the prettiest and best (laughs) working Band-Aid we can. Sure. And hopefully we can have some sort of voice in the ultimate, you know, redesign. When they they have all the data working together and everything's merged, uh, we would like to be there. Be experts to say this is the best way to do that.
0: So right now, it's more a matter of let's make this more transparent and and, yeah. and less obvious that these are two different cities people are operating in.
1: Yeah. So messaging and changing, you know, UIs on different features, um, but not the full site and not all at once. Mm-hmm.
0: Out of curiosity, of the things that people are complaining about, what what things are you are you hearing so far? that you feel like are, are legitimate issues, problems?
1: Uh, they've added quite a few features that don't work together. So mm. it's been like, users will probably want to do this. Let's put this on the page. Oh, they'll probably want to do this. Let's put this on the page. Yeah. Instead of just focusing on the simplicity and the functionality of the core purpose of that particular feature, whatever it is, and making that seamless, uh, they've just sort of hacked it and put stuff on it as time has gone on. And users is like, I just want to get this done. I just want to do this one thing. And it's so hard. I don't know what to look at. And that's what we're struggling with now is just stripping it all out and making it as simple as possible.
0: So have they given people more than they ever wanted or asked for?
1: (laughs) Yeah. And it's weird (laughs) because on some parts of the site, there's way too much. And on others, there are features missing that You would just think would be no brainers so there's a there's a mix of things and it's it's a a function of so many people so many cooks you know Mm -hmm. all these different vendors all these different departments all these different stakeholders all wanting to make an impact different ways and not working together
0: yeah and you're you're heading off my next question which was how much of that disparity do you think is driven by these individual vendors in other words, they have a they have a platform. They have a set of features and functionality, and this is it. Like here is what you get, and then the implementation is okay. Well, it's this, and it doesn't go any further than that.
1: It's absolutely that there are there are vendors working as more of um, a staff augmentation type of model, and there are others that are consultants. Yeah, and I am strongly a proponent of being the consultant, the expert in the room that tells you. The things you may not want to hear, (laughs) you know, you may not necessarily like what I'm about to say, but it's going to save your business if you, if you listen to us That's right. and they are more receptive because they understand what they've been doing is not working. Yeah. And I, I just, we're plunging through. It's like, we strongly recommend this. We'll still do this if you insist, but this is what we need to do. And fortunately our current stakeholder is all about making a change. Yeah. And I
0: think it's a harder road to walk.
1: Oh, I couldn't always do this. (laughs) Absolutely not. Early in my career, I would not push back like this. Uh, Why is that? I was afraid. I didn't want to. I felt like I would be an outlier and embarrass my company if I resisted the business too much. I think I thought my role was to do what they wanted and to fulfill the SOW and you know, just make sure the contract was exactly as it was stated. I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I'm really, I'm, I'm a difficult consultant right now because. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, part of that is is you, Joe. I mean, just having Get out just having your um your voice online and your courses and the Facebook group and the book validated what I was al- already thinking about UX. But I felt like I was out there by myself hmm. because I'm listening to the experts. I'm like, okay, well, that works in that scenario, but not mine. So tell me what works in mine. And that's where your, your work came in. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> I'm not crazy.
0: Uh, wow. <laughs> um, wow. I, that's, that's huge to hear. It, thank
1: it's you. absolutely true. And I think a lot of people are feeling that. That's why your your group is so popular.
0: Well, I I hope so. I I have always, and the reason this stuff means so much to me when people say it is because I've always felt like, and I just said this to somebody. I've probably said it in three different podcast interviews so far. Mm-hmm. So I apologize, everyone, for the broken record bit. But have have you ever seen Big with Tom Hanks? Yeah,
1: it's one
0: of my favorites. You know, you know the scene when they're all in the boardroom and he's with all these business guys, and and they're talking about this like the worst ideas ever conceived for this toy, right? That no kid is ever going to use. And he sort of sheepishly raises his hand and he's like, "Um, I don't get it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and they all look at him like he's crazy. I've been that guy my whole life. Yeah. Okay. And and I've always felt like in in just about any situation I've ever been in among um, the UX industry, the design industry among um, agencies I worked for before I started out on my own, I just always felt like at least 70% of this is just bullshit.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Not true. It's not applicable. We can't do it. We can't make this work. It's just people spouting off their beliefs and and what looks good on paper, but it never freaking
1: works. And that's the thing about that advice that we, we all talk about where it doesn't apply to the real world. It makes you feel worse if you can't apply it. Yeah, it makes you feel worse than if you never heard it at all because you're like, no, I can't meet the standard that everybody else is expecting because my situation is so you know, intractable. I can't do it.
0: Yeah, you feel like a failure. Yeah. I, I totally, totally get that. Um, so aside from, I mean, obviously you mentioned uh, my stuff, which I'm grateful for, but at what point did you start to feel like – Okay, I'm just I just can't do this this way anymore.
1: I think um, I worked for a couple different consulting companies, and I would always defer to my lead, um, no matter how much experience they had or their approach. I figured, you know, I would give them my best practice advice offline, but as far as how we look to the client, I would defer to them. Mm-hmm. And there, you know, just more than one occasion, I disagreed with them so strongly and I felt we were going down the wrong path, I just couldn't do that anymore. I actually left a job because of it. So one of my leads didn't want me to talk to the dev team until the designs were done. And I'm, <laughs> I'm of the mind that you talk to the dev team as soon as you possibly can to find out what the platform limitations are. Absolutely. So that you know what you're designing against, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, how how do you know what you're
0: doing? Otherwise? Exactly. How do you know what's possible?
1: It's like the the dev team was in house, and we're a consultant. No, we we have to get our designs completely nailed down first. I'm like, no, we don't. We should give them the maximum amount of time to estimate and and push back and tell us what's not possible because right right ultimately it's going to be a problem for the business. So. <laughs> You know, I, someone that's going to tell me that, and they're my lead, I'm, like, I'm in the wrong place. I got to go. There's got to be somewhere <laughs> for me that's not like this. So, Right. And you get more brave as you get older, and you get more experience, and you get more validated because you have some successes. But um, at that point, I, I wasn't completely sure what I was doing, and I didn't have a job to go to, but I just knew I couldn't keep doing that, so...
0: Yeah, so you have to make a move. I mean, yeah, it's, it's never comfortable. It's never safe. It's never easy. But you have to make a move. Otherwise, if for no other reason, then I think it's really painful yeah. and stressful um, to to live that way. I, I think the one commonality across all of us who do creative work of any kind, and I include developers uh, in this category, I think it's that we care very deeply about what we do. We care very deeply about the end result. And there's, there's just sort of no greater waste in in feeling like you're just wasting every second of your life when you're doing meaningless work or when you're doing things that you know are wrong.
1: Yeah. Doing it in a manner, you know, is wrong is, is demoralizing and you don't notice it at first, but after a year or so of that constantly, you just, it's all like a, Constant level of anxiety because you know your best instincts are going to be slapped down, and <laughs> it's just not fun so let me ask you this
0: question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, <laughs> and you're allowed to say i don't want to answer this you're a woman working in technology you're also a minority you're a woman of color I'm interested to hear you know from your perspective what what is your experience? been like given those circumstances what what challenges have you had to deal with uh and and how have you dealt with them
1: yeah and you can add the uh, other demo of over 40 um mm-hmm. it all it all plays into it so um just being female in tech is challenging and a lot of people are writing about that and you know it's we're getting pretty aware of that situation mm-hmm. being um a woman of color and over 40. So I'm typically older than the people, other people in the room that are doing the same thing that I'm doing. And even, you know, many of the developers and occasionally the people I'm working for, um, you'd never know if there's bias against you and you don't know which thing about you, the bias is based on your voice has to be a little bit stronger and a little bit more confident, a lot more confident. Because yeah. you're facing preconceived ideas of who you are and what your capabilities are and your ability to understand technology. So, um, you know the times are changing slowly. Uh, things are getting better. There's more representation now than there was, but it's um, it's kind of a scary place to start out. Um, you have to be you have to be really, really, uh, resilient and be okay with being self-doubting about it. Um, because it's, it's a constant thing. You know, going through the world as a person of color, you never know if a reaction you're getting is based on that. And you can't ask because you're not going to get an honest answer for people.
0: And it's always there, I would imagine. It's the always there.
1: And you have to eventually be okay with that chatter in the back of your head. It's like, I'm going to present to, let's say, when I went to Midland, Texas and presented in front of oil workers who are all working class Texas white male, Yeah, um, I have to make them comfortable with the fact that I understand what they're going through and I can empathize. I'm like, really? <laughs> they're looking yeah. at me like, who are you and why are you wasting my time? Um, so there's a, there's a lot to sort of mentally tamped down to get your job done when you're dealing with other people and clients and even your own team because if you're going into a team and you're the only person that's other you know you have to make sure that they know how competent you are
0: yeah i would imagine so
1: yeah it's 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 tough it's um i can't i can't minimize how how difficult it is actually
0: no i'm sitting here thinking to myself i cannot possibly imagine i can't even get within a million miles of how that's, that has to feel.
1: Yeah. I was working, um, for an airline. I won't say which one. Um, but they're very traditional company. And when I would raise issues, I would get the verbal, um, equivalent of a pat on the head and the the white developer next to me, he would be hurt even though he said exactly the same thing. So that was the the kind of thing. Is like, okay, um, this is what it feels like when you actually have bias. Um, Because you never really know. But that was more overt than most. And that was kind of constant because it was coming from the people uh, that actually engaged my company to work for them. Is it worse when it's up front and out in the open
0: like that? Or is it worse when everybody's pretending that it's not that way. And it really is
1: the pretending part. Um, yeah, when it's in your face, you can, you can adjust and sort of, you know, get, get your big curl pants on and, 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 and deal with that one-on-one. But when it's, it's less than obvious, you really have to sort of ignore it. Um, and just do your job because you there's not, there's no way to find out for sure. No one's going to tell you. So if it's too uncomfortable, I'll find a way to get out of that situation. But I'm going to do my job every day because that's why I'm being paid.
0: I'm I'm reticent to ask this next question. Go for it. Um, But I want to ask it anyway. Have you ever experienced any outward harassment, Um, inappropriate behavior? You know, like a lot of things we're hearing about, in the news right now? Have you ever had to deal with that?
1: Yes. Um, not recently. Um, I haven't been in those situations for quite a while. Uh, before this current job, I did a lot mm-hmm. of remote work and working on my own. Um, but yeah, uh, early in my career, I, I as a female, I mean, it's all about um, being a woman and being sexually harassed in the workplace. Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, and when you get in tech and you have a lot of Young men that are just coming out of school that haven't necessarily had a lot of relationships with women. They've been in front of computers for most of their lives up to that point. Yeah, yeah. They don't know how to act necessarily. Um, they don't know what's appropriate. And they may not mean any harm, but it's really uncomfortable.
0: Yeah, I bet. I mean, how do you, that's huh, a dumb question,
1: but how do you, how do you deal with
0: that? I mean what do you do in those situations?
1: <laughs> at worst you 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 cry yourself to sleep because you know you can't do anything about it. Um and you have to evaluate how much you really want to be in this space. Um at best as you get older and you sort of you know put those experiences behind you, all you want really want to do is motivate the next generation of women to keep keep broadening, you know, and expanding the way tech looks. Mm-hmm. because that's the only way it's going to change is more exposure having more people around you that don't look like you
0: this is going to sound like a naive thing to say uh because I do partially know the answer <laughs> um but I'm I'm more interested to hear a woman answer this question than I am a man um because it is something that there's some part of me that is sort of still genuinely shocked <sighs> that this doesn't happen. Why is it that men in these situations, when they observe these things happen, because there are plenty of times, all right, in my life, I, I've lost count the number of times I've I've watched other men do things and say things that were completely off the chart. And again, felt like the only person in the, in the room who said, wait a minute, this is not Right, you can't do that. You can't say that. Like, why do men just sit on their hands and watch it happen? I think
1: we've um, tolerated a, a culture of men being encouraged to be that way. Um, Is that from childhood?
0: Does it start that early?
1: I think it starts, you know, when guys are competitive in high school and college and they're, you know, trying to outdo each other's manhood, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. Kind of becomes a thing where you're talking about women a certain way to impress the guys and it's it's encouraged. It's just what we've put up with. So now that we're calling individuals out for their behavior, we're not addressing the toxic culture aspect. Yeah. We're not, you know, making it so we don't keep generating another generation of guys like this who still think that they can objectify and demean and say these things that are really kind of horrible. Um, we're just, we're just punishing individuals that get caught. Which
0: is, which is okay. It's good that it's happening, Yeah, but it's like, you're like you're saying, it's not the answer.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're going to call out this person when another person did the same thing. You just don't know about it. So, um, unless we address the culture and, um, because tech has so many young men that don't have a lot of experience. Um, they're building professional business cultures around them with the same mentality. And then women are coming in uh, and they're getting blindsided by the fact that the level of professionalism that under other industries sort of take for granted doesn't exist there.
0: Yeah. Because you're walking into the clubhouse essentially.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. And it's an argument for, I mean, I think you're right. Tech in particular, you create these silos, mm-hmm. you know, of of people, men in particular, young men, heads down, isolated, social media and the way that we all communicate remotely now exacerbates that. Yeah. You're even further removed from what it's like to really interact one-on-one with people. Combine that with a culture that even since I was a kid, okay, is is very focused on all the things that you mentioned. If you're a male, you know, you have to be tough. You have to be strong. You can't be sensitive. You cannot cry. You cannot ever display any, any feelings, you know, uh, of, of any kind, mm-hmm. or you will be ridiculed.
1: And you have to regard women in a certain, in a certain light. It's, it's not as equals. It's not as peers. appears. Yeah. So unless we're addressing that when they're young, I don't think the prognosis for me for this to be fixed is not just calling people out it's got to be about how we change the the formative years
0: yeah and i think the cultural shift is harder than the personal one mm-hmm. you know i mean i have kids and y- you work and then my father did it's the, the reason i am the way i am has everything to do with my father not just what he said but what he did okay the the way that he lived and lives his life um and I will tell you that he, in my experience, is one in 10 million, mm-hmm. okay? And, and I grew up that way, but I never at any point, even as an as a approaching 50-year-old man, I don't know that I fit either um, at this point or, or ever did. It's always felt like alien territory to me that I don't understand
1: yeah it's a lot of pressure to be one of the boys, you know um I see it and I understand it and but you know, like you said, good parenting having that strong male example does make a difference
0: at the same time though it's I think this gets back to the the whole conversation we had around social media right I think organizations that that are responsible for putting out content of any kind, into the public space, have a responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to use this example because it's something that really made me angry. Um, Design Observer, which I followed for years. Okay. Um, they published a post and, and they, they do this every once in a while now. They published a post on Facebook um, about this photographer's work. This guy took pictures uh, in the back of his cab mm-hmm. Okay, of passengers in the back of his cab for for years, and it really is fascinating if you look at the the collection and the, just the sheer diversity of people and the and the emotional depth of these photographs is pretty incredible. At the same time, when they made the post, they led with a very suggestive image of a female mm-hmm. who who could have possibly been a, a drag queen as well. I couldn't quite tell, to be honest with you. Um. You know, the fishnet stockings, it's all legs, it's all cleavage, it's all, I mean, just the whole thing was set up in a way to say, here's a suggestive image that we know men are just going to, you know, react to and look at. And you can't tell me that they didn't do that on purpose. I'm not buying it. Right.
1: They wanted to drive the clicks.
0: That's right. And that to me, I'm sorry, is inexcusable, especially from an organization. Who should fucking be taking the moral high ground here? Yeah. I really, I'm sorry if that comes across um, to whoever's hearing this. <laughs> uh, if it rubs you the wrong way, I'm sorry. We have to be better. No,
1: we we have to be collectively. We have to say we can't put up with this anymore. Objectification. I mean, a lot of young girls are putting themselves out there on Instagram to be objectified because they think it's yeah. empowering yeah. and cool and no one's telling them otherwise and they're just you know giving <laughs> you're giving it away for free basically and saying guys do whatever you want with me um and that's unfortunate that they feel like that's power and it, i i look at that and it's like you have no idea what your power is yet yeah keep it keep it as long as you can
0: no and that's right and that's the the one thing like you know like with with our girls the one thing we're striving to do is make it clear to them, like, do not put up with anybody's bullshit, yeah, <laughs> for for even a second. Okay, you are worthy of respect, and you should demand it.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: Oh, period. Period. But but I worry as an individual, right? We we do what we can do within our own sphere of influence. But I think the 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 culture and the and the business culture in particular and the profit that is associated with this objectification that we're talking about mm-hmm. uh, and these mixed messages and all this sly, sneaky shit that I see all the time, man, I don't know how you change that. I don't either. I, I really don't. All I, I th- well, I think maybe I do <laughs> because people are saying, what's, you know, how do we change this in politics or how do we change it? And people keep saying, um, elect more women <laughs> or, you know, put women in leadership mm-hmm. positions or I saw something crazy where they were talking about they wanted a feminist perspective of somebody to host, was it an award show or something? And the argument was that Seth Meyers should do it. And and the reaction that I had was echoed in just about every one of the 600 replies that the post got, which was, okay, how about have a woman host in the first place? Like, <laughs> Why are we searching for a guy who's a feminist to host this show? I I mean,
1: how backwards is this? Yeah, it seems like an obvious conclusion to come to, but you have to actually tell people.
0: Good Lord.
1: And then the argument, the counter argument becomes, well, we can't just select women because they're women and vote for them because they're women. That's bullshit. And it's like, well, until we're done with this reparative phase and we actually fix the problem it's like affirmative action. You can't you can't just that's right go business as usual and expect the problem to be addressed. You have to do some reparative work first, and be okay with that.
0: And that's my feeling as well. Okay, that's there's a reason.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: there's a reason integration happened. There's a reason we decided. Okay, it's not right to treat people as second class citizens you know, what African-Americans went through, we we decided collectively, that's not okay. Right. (laughs) Now we can argue about whether, you know, that's actually worked to the degree that it has, but it was still a a critical step. And this to me is no different. So I agree with you. You have to, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, this is unacceptable.
1: Yeah. And until uh, as a culture, we understand that women are not objects and, you know, not people that you're supposed to talk about in a certain way, especially in the workplace. And this isn't something I had to deal with when I was doing design and like marketing organizations. Mm-hmm. It was only when the, the rise of tech where the culture completely shifted. Everything was casual. Everything was, you know, you could say whatever you wanted and do whatever you wanted. And mm. it was a shock to me because I had come from that other world. Um, so I start, when I started being a d- designer with developers in tech companies it was completely different experience yeah and that and that's
0: the impression you seem to get if you if you read a lot of this stuff that that a lot of this is endemic to the tech industry in particular yeah
1: because they're snatching kids out of school before they've had a chance to become adults yeah and they're they're feeding off each other
0: i don't know how we solve it. (laughs) i don't either (laughs) I, i i desperately i desperately hope that we do, uh, all I can say is that you know every instance I see of somebody being called out and and fired or or whatever, I mean all I can do is applaud it because eh, this this stuff has got to be it's got to be public as difficult as it may be for those folks and their families. Um, you reap what you sow in life so yeah. <laughs> there's something to be said for reminding everybody that personal accountability is a thing (laughs) you know you do have to be responsible for your actions yeah
1: we're in such an interesting time it's it's like 2017 is the year reckoning for a lot of things that we didn't expect
0: oh yeah empires rise and fall (laughs) that's true
1: that's true (laughs)
0: it may be our time um hmm, i had a question and then it went away (laughs) which happens to me often the older i get (laughs) I shouldn't admit that. Yeah, I,
1: I can totally relate to that. So
0: <laughs> I shouldn't admit that. Um, you've, you've done a number of things. When I look down, you know, your resume, your LinkedIn profile, you've been with a lot of different types of organizations. You've had your hands on mm-hmm. a lot of different things. What I'm curious about is, you know, how does all that, because these, these, look and, and sound like slightly different experiences with different types of organizations, clients, mm-hmm. projects, even the work that you were doing. I've been all over the map. How does all that varied experience, because you seem very focused in your role right now, how does all that varied experience sort of help you do what you do right now better, if it does?
1: At the time I was doing it, I felt like I was all over the map, but I'm so glad I did it mm-hmm. Um because I would... I would be driven by curiosity and not career goals. I had um, gotten into web design and, you know, that was interesting and all, but um, I was also interested in digital video. I was interested in research and I would just follow the jobs that allowed me to stretch. So I had a job with a video production company as I was doing their email blasts, I was doing their website, and I remember going up to the owner. And saying, I'm, you know, I'm not really crazy about the quality of the show that we're making. And he's like, well, why don't you produce it? I'm like, I don't know how. Okay, I'll go figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I, love that. I
1: <laughs> and, love that. You know, I have a, a, a producer in the family, so she was a good resource. But um, still, it was just like, uh, I, you know, people are doing it, so it must be able to be done. I'll figure it out. And, you know, there's a certain level of expertise to go that goes into these roles. But if you're willing to, you know, stay up late and do the work and learn new things, which I always want to do. I mean, my mind never rests. I always want to learn more stuff. Mm -hmm. Jobs that allow me to do that, I stay with longer. And then I sort of see something else as the, you know, the industry's changed a lot over the last 20 years. So I see new things that I want to get into. I'll follow those. And if a job doesn't let me get into those things, I'm moving on. (laughs) So that's, that's pretty much how it's been. Yeah. Which I think
0: is a a good thing. And I also think it speaks to something that I believe pretty strongly in. And that is if you can do this work, okay. You're, you're a UX person, you're a designer, you're a a developer, you're a creative analytical thinker, problem solver of any kind. Mm -hmm. If you can do it in one place, You can do it in other places. And by that, I mean, whether we're talking about, like you just said, producing, video, um, video art, video, um, editing, to graphic design, to UI design, to UX analysis, to um, information architecture analysis, to understanding, you know, how things get built. To me, there's there's a huge common thread in all that stuff.
1: Absolutely. That is sort of who we are. You have to be open to learning, whether it's an, a new skill or about, you know, customers or, you know, just being constantly a sponge of, of things around you. Otherwise, when you get into the work, you're not thinking about the people who use it. You're thinking about yourself.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, in some of these cases that it's just the tools mm-hmm. that change. Yeah. Okay. To to hammer on the video thing for a second here. I've, I've, um, directed and produced and and storyboarded video as well. And in my past and for various reasons, and I kind of felt the same way that you did, which is okay. I've never done this before, but the the sort of goals are the same, right? What we're trying to accomplish is the same. Mm -hmm. So, okay, let's, let's sit down and think about it and, and see whether or not I can pull this off, and what I found is that aside from the mechanics of doing it and the tools of doing it, which I was absolutely unfamiliar with, yeah, um, it was a lot more possible than I originally thought, and that surprised me a little bit the first time it happened.
1: Yeah, it, it's all sort of ten- tangential and and possible if within the digital realm, you know. And I think if you're really interested in something, making the move is one of the best things you can do, and you don't have to stay. That's the thing. I tried uh, front end development for a short time mm-hmm. and I really got into it, but I didn't like the linear heads down nature of the work. Um, I like interacting with people more. I like research more yeah. and I didn't stick with it. I wasn't very good at it. So when people ask me, do you code? I'm like, I understand code. I understand what the limitations of code. I understand what's possible. I can talk to coders and I think that's enough. You know, um, I don't need to actually do it myself. That's, that's what other people are for.
0: Yeah. And I personally, I agree with you. Um, so where do you fall? And I think I know, but I'm going to ask anyway, where do you fall on the should designers or UX people code debate?
1: I think if they want to code, they should absolutely try it. Uh, I think they should have a a level of technical literacy so they understand how to talk to coders and how to understand what they do and empathy for what they do, yeah. but they don't have to code. No, absolutely not.
0: Well, I'm in violent agreement with you there. <laughs> and, and, and that argument has been, been beat to death, but, um.
1: I yeah. Was, and I figure if Alan Cooper agrees with me, I'm good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's always my validation as well. If Alan says something and I find myself agreeing yeah, with him, I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm doing all there,
1: right. there are a few people in the industry that if they're saying the same thing, I'm like, all right, <laughs> I'll stick with this. Yeah. And and you sort of follow that,
0: right? And you you use it to some degree as a barometer. I mean, by way of example, I mentioned something in the Facebook live group um, the other day when we went live that I find really troubling. And this happens to be something that Alan is talking about a lot right now as well. And that is the fact that in all this stuff, in this rush to build digital products and all these frameworks and automated sequences and you know, uh, automatic grid design that that makes UI a snap and all this mm-hmm. stuff. The idea of real design in the true sense of the term is getting lost. We're not talking about it.
1: Yeah, and it's it's um, creating a, a generation of fearful designers that don't want to break outside of those frameworks. You know, mm-hmm. I w- I mean I w- got into the web when it first became more commercial and it was more open to the general public and there was so much experimental stuff going on it was just amazing to me and yeah. as more people got into it and became more commercial and about selling all of that stopped i mean there's still some experimental stuff but you really have to search for it and to me that was that's how designers push their limits and then they reel it back for what what works but you have to actually push yourself beyond what's accepted
0: yeah i think so too and and I also think, with the nature of technology and the way that it 's changed, um, you know for instance, we have all these devices right mm-hmm. We have all these screen resolutions we have to account for, we have browser behavior that we have to account for um, there 's a million variables, so what you 're starting to see is on a technical side, there are lots of of solutions that solve those problems, yeah, but seemingly at the expense of of sort of the the true um, appropriateness, relevance, uniqueness of branded communication, right? Where where you're sending a message that is uniquely yours, Mm -hmm. um, and people can interact in it with it in a way that is sort of specific to their context as well. And and I think that's getting lost and I'm wrestling in my own stuff. Okay. My own, I'm in the process of redesigning my website. Um, we're looking at uh, slightly different platform for online training and courses. When you start to review all these things, the thing that hits you smack in the face immediately are, is the, the degree to which you will have to trade off <laughs> certain things that, that you believe are important for clean functionality, mm-hmm. for... For something that costs, you know, a, a fraction of what it would if you had to develop it in a custom manner.
1: Yeah, and all the exploration for design patterns and, you know, feedback, micro-interactions, all that stuff, you're assuming when you use a framework, it's all worked out already, and you just use what they have in the library instead of exploring something new, and it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Yep.
0: Yeah, and it is, and you're forced, I think in some cases, organizations and individuals... Um, are forced to make decisions that they don't necessarily agree with. Yeah, you know, you're you're looking at the functionality and the feature, the way it's implemented in the platform, right? And you're saying, okay, it works this way. That kind of sucks. I'd like to customize it to do A, B, and C. And in that process, you find out what exactly it's going to take yeah. to customize it to do A, B, and C in terms of time and effort and cost. And you think to yourself, oh my, that's crazy i can't justify that
1: yeah i just had a recent project and they were starting out in material design because they had done other apps in material and like i don't know this is a system i don't think it lends itself to material i think we should look at something else and it it was just mm-hmm. that conversation went nowhere
0: because they were just insistent that it had to be material
1: yeah and it saved them so much time as far right. as you know working all out all that interaction and in ui design so um Yeah, I lost that one. It was unfortunate.
0: (laughs) Well, it's all you can do, right? Yeah. It's all you can do to to say, I think it should be different.
1: I I warned my bosses, my current company, that I will always advocate for what I think is right. And I will probably be annoying, (laughs) really, really annoying, but I will do it. And if you say no, I'll just keep going. Well, that's the gig, though. Yeah. I,
0: I think our job, to a large degree, is to be... The uh, the sand in the oyster, right? <laughs> to to irritate it, <laughs> because because that's what produces the pearl.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm often the only colonel, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, like, I understand that it, it can be a lonely existence, but Lisa, somebody's got to do it.
1: It's like I'll get agreement privately, offline from people, and then in the meetings they'll they'll not say a word. I'm like. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, you're dying on that hill by yourself.
1: (laughs) That's fine.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And it goes to the territory.
1: I'll be the old sage in the corner muttering to myself. That's fine.
0: (laughs) That's right. That's right. But I I think, and as you alluded to, uh, I think that's one of the benefits of age. And I I don't pretend to know how old you are, but I think if you've been doing anything long enough, one of the benefits of that is that as you get older, you care less about a lot of that stuff. Your your focus and and the reason that you do any of this in the first place becomes, I think, a lot clearer, uh, sharper in focus.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I used to care a lot, and I remember caring. I just don't have that that insecurity anymore, and I'm so grateful it went away. I just I wish I could tell people why. <laughs> I just think it's doing the job. Um, after a certain point, you feel more comfortable with your own voice. And uh, there's no way to predict when that'll happen.
0: Yeah. Do, Do you think there's any way, any real way to, to convince younger people to, to sort of adopt some of those principles now, or is it something that they just have to go through themselves?
1: I think they can sort of shortcut it a bit by pushing themselves into more uncomfortable situations earlier. Mm-hmm. And ra- rather than waiting for the job to to present them, um, whether it's through, you know, outside activities or freelance jobs or something, something that they find particularly challenging. Like for me, discovery sessions um, put fear, <laughs> the fear of God in me because – presentation at that point in my career was really hard. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I couldn't get a sentence out without feeling really, um, self-conscious Really, and I didn't like PowerPoint presentations. I hated that style. And I would try to follow my lead who, who wanted everything on the PowerPoint and literally wanted me to read it. And I'm like, that is not engaging. I don't want to do that. That makes me feel more awkward than I already do. Yeah. so i just I just threw it all away and started talking to people in the room and walking around and talking to them like as if it was just one person at a time, and that worked for me,
0: yeah, yeah I could because I always think back and and I'm laughing because you know there was a a long stretch for me when I was younger, especially where I was pretty stubborn okay and and
1: no not never you, Joe,
0: yeah, right. <laughs>
1: I would never get that, right? Who who to thunk it? <laughs>
0: um, and you couldn't tell me anything, okay? I mean, you you, you really couldn't, and um, that's why I, I talk about hard knocks a lot, and, and that's why that's that's why the majority of those unfortunate situations happened, uh, and it's why I became so wise.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> it it really but, is the only way. So yeah. But I always think now that I'm older, okay, I constantly find myself in this, this situation where, you know, someone will email me or or message me and say, I'm dealing with this situation. I'm like sort of on the ledge here. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to jump, you know, metaphorically. And, um, they're, they're just, I can see it. They're banging their head and their heart against this wall. And I'm trying like hell to say, look, Certain things are worth fighting for, certain things aren't If you can do this, 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 and this, keep going if mm-hmm. you can't back off, save yourself some pain and, and and just chalk it up to a loss and move on you know and a lot of them simply can't do that and I think to myself, well, you couldn't either when you were that age, yeah, which is true I couldn't,
1: yeah, remembering. Remembering how you felt at that age has been a struggle for me when I'm working with junior-level people Um, because you forget how much it matters to you to be right. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That's exactly it. That's exactly it.
1: Because we equate, at at that point in our careers, we, we equate expertise with being right all the time. And we've come to find that being able to bravely admit what you don't know is when you're an expert.
0: Yeah, and I think that's accurate that really is accurate being, <laughs> and, and that being right, you know, it, it comes from, I mean, it's insecurity yeah. Right to some degree and not always, not always in the big horrible way um, that that sounds, but I think you said it a minute ago, it's just sort of not knowing your place um, in, in the grand scheme of things. And that's, that's a tough place to be.
1: Yeah. And, and what's kind of unfortunate um, I mean, it's great that so many people that age are starting companies, but it's unfortunate that they they don't realize that they're in that place mentally when they're doing it, yeah. because yeah. they're they're barreling down the road with that mentality, and they're building an an entire organization around it, and then when the bad things happen, they're not prepared.
0: And it's happening fast. Yeah, I mean, they're they're the speed of. Of growth, uh-huh. <laughs> the speed at which an idea and, becomes a
1: company, right? And there's so much money thrown at them. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you just look at that and you're shaking your head, I'm like, <sighs> <laughs> you know, there are things you could have predicted if if you'd had more experience in your company to advise you. But sure. yeah, you can course correct. It's like I look at Twitter and the issues they're having with just. Um, how they manage their users that could have been prevented early on and they just didn't do it.
0: Yeah. And now it's this big convoluted widespread problem with a lot of tangled roots.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
0: you're like, okay, how do you address this now?
1: Yeah. And and you had the right people been in the room when they first started, they could have anticipated some of it, at least some of it.
0: Yeah, I think so. And it's unfortunately, I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens. Um I, I the human <laughs> part uh of the social web I think needs to come forward. I think there there needs to be a higher degree of ethical and moral responsibility to some degree. And I don't pretend to know the answer to what that is. Yeah. But I think we're, I think we're at critical mass right now in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, it's it's strongly influencing how we feel about everything and what we focus on and My issue is if the loudest voices, the people that are being protected are the negative ones, then it's not really free speech anymore. That's right. It's not free for the ones that are reasonable. um, If they're getting attacked by people that are just out there to create havoc, you know?
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. There has to be balance. And again, I, I don't pretend to know the solution, but there have been several instances I've seen so far, for example, not to get too deep down in this rabbit hole, but I've seen several instances where, you know, Twitter has responded directly. Twitter personnel have responded directly to something that was egregious and have decided that, oh, well, you know, it's, it needs to stay out there.
1: Mm -hmm. I've had that experience too.
0: If, if you're involved and you're seeing this, you gotta react a little bit better you can't just say oh well it's it's free speech and watch your hand wash your hands of it Mm -hmm. some of this this stuff is truly dangerous
1: it's dangerous and you know there's an entire generation that has grown up with you know come of age with this you know entity and they're they're going to it every day and being influenced by it and it's you know it makes me sad because i i was you know i bridged you know digital revolution. So I know what it's like before it. So that's when I formed my, my personhood, you know, and I, I can fight back mentally. And I, I I don't think a lot of kids out there have that ability.
0: Well, no, because they've, they've grown up with personal interaction and personal experience sort of happening at a distance. Mm -hmm. You know, (laughs) there's a, there's an old George Carlin bit where he, he says the degree to which someone is an asshole (laughs) is directly proportional to the distance they are away from you at the time you discover this flaw. (laughs) Right? Because if you're in your car, you know, and someone's a site, you're like, that
1: guy's an asshole.
0: Yes. Someone's right next to you. You whisper to somebody else. That guy's really an asshole. I
1: know someone cuts (laughs) you off for a parking space and then you hold the door for them when you're walking in the store. Yeah.
0: Right. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, it's different. We're not this rude to each other. I mean, some people are, but for the most part, we're not this rude to each other in person. That's true. Absolutely true. And this distance sort of emboldens people to say and do whatever the hell they feel like doing. Yeah. And if you're putting up these platforms, I think you have a responsibility there. And that to me dovetails exactly, precisely into user experience. That is part of this domain,
1: uh, yeah, absolutely, because the experience for the majority of people is to be on guard for the next person that's going to attack them for their opinion and it's it's sad i don't I don't use Twitter for actually expressing real ideas, I'll pass things on i'll I use it mostly for UX industry stuff or to mm-hmm. maybe comment on some political occasionally if I absolutely can't stand it. <laughs> yeah. Other yeah. than that, it's not the tool that I would hope it to be as far as, you know, meaningful exchanges between people. Um, yeah, I agree. And Facebook kind of is if you only, if you silo yourself into a corner with people that think like you do.
0: Yeah, right. If you're appreciative of choir, it's okay. Yeah. And it's hard not to get sucked into this stuff. Um, I, I try really hard. I really, really try to make a concerted effort not to be throwing political stuff around all the time. But yeah, it's, it's hard to have that platform,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, particularly now because I feel like, all right, you're you're in a position where people are actually paying attention to some of the things that you say, and certain things. I feel like if I remain silent on this, what message am I sending? Okay. I've always believed that silence equals agreement yeah. and I think that's dangerous. Yeah. You know, I understand if it's, if you're a person with, you know, 20 followers and you feel like, well, I'm not even going there. I, I get that. But when, you know, a thousand, 2000 people, um, whatever, and some people have infinitely, you know, mm-hmm. that times infinity uh, in terms of the people paying attention to what they say, you start to feel this, this responsibility, to that group, you know, where I, I guess I got to comment on this because mm-hmm. I want people getting the idea that I'm okay with it.
1: Yeah. And I, I really appreciate how you use your, your Facebook form to sort of moderate and real conversations back that get too heated that <laughs> have actually been in a couple of those. I'm like, I gotta stop. <laughs> it's, it's,
0: it's not always easy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've, you know, we, we've, myself and, and, Two other folks that sort of monitor things. We, we've deleted plenty of things. Really?
1: I haven't,
0: um, I haven't seen any really, really egregious stuff, but it's probably because Occasionally one shows up. One will show up at like five in the morning and I'll get a text. Hey, have you seen this?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and I've only had one sort of crazy um, where it was truly sort of a head scratching situation where, where I tried to correct course with somebody and they just came at me, you know, full force, oh, like you're this and you're that like, God. Oh, dude, calm down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're relax. supposed to be all professionals here. Come on now.
0: Yeah. And I think some of that, for some people, this is a byproduct of, like I said, that that distance where you feel it's Okay. When you see something you don't agree with, you feel that it's okay to respond to it by first telling the other person how stupid they are and criticizing them and, and attacking them personally. Yeah. I wonder what you know. I
1: always wonder what motivates that because it's not behavior we exhibit in other, you know, kinds of interactions. So the cursing people out in the car and Wanting to call people stupid online because they disagree with you. It's not how we act. Why do we do it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. I don't know. I
0: maybe because it's availability. Yeah. You know, and I think that's probably that's probably I, if I had a guess, it's probably repressed rage mm-hmm. from somewhere else. Yeah. You know, or or it's a feeling of powerlessness or it's it's something else that's manifesting itself in, hey, I gotta get out here and, and tell all these people how stupid they are.
1: <laughs> so, I have a question for you. How do you how do you manage that kind of impulse when you're building a platform?
0: Uh, the impulse to to um, react emotionally
1: among um, yeah, among users to want to have you know go that far with their their interactions. How, how do you how could Facebook be better? I don't know what they can do at this point.
0: Well, I, I think until you know, everybody talks about AI, mm-hmm. right? And bots and all these other things and, and how they're getting smarter. Um, and they're, you know, we're using algorithms to ferret out patterns in speech, uh, words, all sorts of things. And I think that's all good, but we are still very much at the point where human intervention is still a critical component,
1: mm-hmm.
0: even even of automated solutions, even of AI solutions, you know, even where bots are concerned, there's, there's still a certain significant degree of human intervention. The problem with something like Facebook is the scale of it.
1: Yeah, You know,
0: you can't possibly have a staff big enough to, to effectively pay attention to what's going on. What I think they can do, what I think Twitter can do as well. And this is purely, I swear to you from a a UX and design and development standpoint. Mm -hmm. And I don't think these are big curbs. They could significantly improve their reporting mechanisms if they did nothing but include more choices when you're forced you know to report something the canned choices that exist where you have to pick one of those do not cover very much mm-hmm. okay i think there's a lot of there are a lot of things that are that are missing for example on twitter i've had people follow me lately and, and try to hijack things uh, that i've posts who are essentially to some degree porn sites
1: oh wow yeah, I've seen okay. a lot of that on
0: Twitter. Here's what happens. When you try to report that, when you hit the report button, there is no option for for pornography or for, you know, ch- um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, some In some cases, children are involved in this, which is uh, pure evil. There's no category you can put that under and and i've encountered lots of instances where i've seen things that are really egregious and it there was no there's no option no category to properly report it and therefore what i think happens is that the the system takes that and because it a machine looks at that post and can't identify it based on the criteria it has already it passes interesting Okay, that's what I think is happening on both platforms.
1: I didn't even realize porn was on Twitter for the longest time. I just happened to come across something, and I was, I was, I was shocked that it was allowed to be there. It was an entire um, it was an, an account yeah. by a, a porn star, but none of the posts were posted by the account. They were all retweets from someone else. Right. So they got around the rules. <laughs> yeah. Right, right.
0: And there's no, and that's what I'm saying, where I think it's it's a design flaw, it's a development flaw, it's a, it's a mid-tier logic flaw, mm-hmm. in that you're just missing a big part of the puzzle. I mean, they, they Twitter, for example, just had this, you know, all these posts about we've revamped our security rules and this and that. And when I look, it's the same four choices yeah. that we had before. And there's a serious lag on response, too. Yeah, and, and I think that's what happens. I think the machine looks at it and it gets a pass because it doesn't fit any of these predefined categories. You know, a, a machine doesn't know how to make a leap in logic. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> and I think that's part of the problem. So I think that part has to get better. At the very least, if you can't improve, if we're not at the point technologically where we can improve the machine's ability to recognize certain scenarios, right, or mm-hmm. certain triggers, then you have to. Spend some time designing and developing the reporting process to be better, to be more accurate, Yeah. to to set off internal triggers in a system that alert a human being, right? Certain things at certain levels absolutely must be caught.
1: Yeah. You would think after a certain number of reports, a particular post would be suppressed, you know, just until it can be looked at by a human. Just take it down for that moment. You know, <laughs> if you have enough reports on it.
0: Right. You can't lump everything into a, a big generic category that says this is harmful or abusive. Mm-hmm. Okay. If it's child pornography, it needs to be in a category child pornography. And that sets off massive alarm bells. Right. And a human being says, no, we're deleting this right now.
1: Yeah. And there, you know, other people can manage systems like that. I've seen it done. So.
0: That's right. So to me, that's sloppiness. Um, it's laziness to some degree. And it's, it's a denial of the responsibility that you have um, when you're in this position. No one wants to hear about their troubles. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I mean, I don't.
1: Yeah. I thought, I read some things uh, a couple of years ago about, you know, because even then it was, it was a problem. Um, And their defense was, of course, the free speech argument. And I think a lot of it, they don't want to minimize their engagement. That's right. I think they think it'll drive users away if they start doing it.
0: Yeah. And I think you're right about that. And I think that's, think about it for a second. Think about every client you've ever worked with, every organization that you've ever worked with. Think about their reticence to do Mm -hmm. certain things. What was it centered around, right? What was the driver there?
1: Losing users, yeah.
0: Losing customers. It's the same thing. This is the same battle. Um, They're the same concerns. And they're legitimate concerns, okay? I don't mean to minimize (laughs) that.
1: I'll do it for you. (laughs) They could afford to lose those. <laughs> <laughs> you're right.
0: I'll see it. All right, fine. I was trying to be diplomatic. See, you're braver than I am.
1: No, I'm just, uh, just, you know, I have like Tourette's or something. I don't know. <laughs> it just comes out. I have Tourette's. I, I don't have that filter anymore. And there's no reason to. Sometimes, yeah, Joe, you know. <laughs> I have I've said some things. Have you gotten yourself into trouble? i will God, yes. Uh, I'll say things before I realize I've said them out loud, and <laughs> like, oh, um, I, what I really meant was <laughs> uh,
0: commence backpedaling.
1: I, I, uh, I think I'm making up for you know several decades of being reticent and and too too afraid. So it all kind of stored up, yeah. and now it's it's not a problem whatsoever.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, my father used to tell me all the time. And he still says it, you know, the worst possible thing you can do in any situation is tell the truth, right? At the end of the day, yeah. worst you can do is be honest. And whatever happens after that is going to happen. But at least you know that you told the truth.
1: Yeah, that's, that's one of my uh, great life lessons is the consequences of being authentic are not nearly as bad as the ones of not. That's right. Yeah.
0: And I think a lot of us have learned that the hard way.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, <laughs> Definitely teach you
0: personally and professionally.
1: Mm-hmm. And it and it it crosses over. So if you start to feel more brave personally, you start to feel it professionally as well. So yeah, I think so.
0: Um, this is random. I don't know where this is coming from. Big rabbit hole. Uh, here we go. Um, I noticed when I looked at your profile earlier that when you were at Bowling Green when you, when you were in college, your major was biology and psychology. <laughs> I thought that would come up.
1: I was, I was headed toward pre-med. I, I was all about, um, I didn't know if I was going to be a psychiatrist or uh-huh. I just wanted psychology to support medicine or, but I really wanted to go into medicine and I kind of washed out in chemistry and I was like, well, what do I do now? I, Cause I had all my eggs in one basket and I really had no idea what else I wanted to do. And I was taking art classes and I was doing design classes, you know, and design back then was by hand. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I just sort of kept that to the side as something I liked, but I didn't think I was going to go into it as, you know, profession because my mom would always say, you know, you can't get a job. You can't can't actually get a good job doing that. I'm like, oh.
0: Oh, yeah. I was there.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I
0: went through that.
1: (laughs) So you know, after school, I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And I didn't find, um, design or, or digital anything until I think it was, uh, I was 30. I was 30 when I worked I was an assistant for a multimedia production company and they happened to have a Mac and it was the Lisa, (laughs) you know? Nice. Uh, yeah. And they, they were, they were doing these, um, I think at the time it was called Macromedia Director. Yep. You know, doing all these cool presentations on it. And I I didn't know how they did it. It was a complete mystery to me. But whatever it was, I wanted to learn it. And that was, from that point on, everything related to that kind of thing is what I focused on.
0: See, what I find interesting is that the two fields that you started out in, to me, have direct ties to the work that we do as UX professionals. Really? I think both things factor in. Psychology is huge. Well, yeah, obviously.
1: Yeah, more the more I got into UX and understanding users, that I could draw on a lot of that, but um, it didn't seem like a direct connection at first.
0: No, of course not. Of course not. But even with biology, okay, with with the sort of natural biological ways that that we all function and interact with one another, and and the the impulses, some of which are are biomechanical to some degree, mm-hmm. drive us. And there have been a lot of good arguments made in recent years about how biology spills over into all sorts of disciplines, even to how businesses operate and run and are created or how design happens or how mm-hmm. products are ideated. The whole argument um, about form and function, which is one of my favorites, this idea that form follows function, which it doesn't, <laughs> is essentially refuted yeah. to some degree in certain aspects of biology, right, where it's it's commonly thought – that the opposite is true. But if you really dig into it, it isn't. There's a lot of adaptation that happens because of necessity.
1: Yeah. I was just talking to a colleague about this. It, you know, when people have a, a task to perform or a goal to achieve, they will put up with a bad interface. Yeah, They'll just do it. They'll just adapt to it. They'll, And if it's part of their job, they'll do it for years and not complain about it because they figure it's part of their job. So Um, it, it depends on the motivation of the individual user because they're not likely to tell you, I need a better interface.
0: No, because it it never enters their mind. Mm -mm. What what they're focused on is what they're trying to accomplish. Right. And that adaptation that you're talking about, again, that exists in nature everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's how all this stuff works to, to a large degree. So I'm not smart enough to, to really dig into those parallels. But the things that I've read, I find completely fascinating because there are little bells that go off. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. we do do that.
1: Yeah. And I still get, when I'm going in deep to understand motivations of behavior and, you know, the changes in human brain, I, I get into all that stuff all over again, which was, you know, my initial passion of biology. It's like, it's all tied together. And I know that now, but it's really fascinating to rediscover how it affects what I'm doing currently. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Amazing! It's amazing, you know, how we start in one place and and we wind up in another place. When you're younger, in particular, we've we've hammered this topic as well. But you have this sort of idea about how all this is going to go, and reality is that it doesn't go anything like that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I had notebooks full of my five year, ten year plans. I I knew exactly. I knew exactly to to the letter what my life was going to be. And it wasn't wow. anything like that. So I stopped with the notebooks already. It was like, if I can just get through this year and I'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where I'm going to be and I'm okay with it.
0: Yeah. You sort of learn over time to have your bags packed at all times.
1: Yeah. Oh, the dot-com bust. Uh, that's where I learned. It. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, all the tech jobs I had from 99 to 2005 I think I was laid off four times in five years so I just had fun with it after a point it's like how are they gonna do it this time I wonder
0: yeah that was an amazing period of time yeah I I still look back at it and and
1: all these half-baked um business models that they were gonna sell to for high dollar to venture capitalists like no oh yeah
0: yeah right um no part of me goes okay it's a miracle that we sort of survived it and at the same time it's just i don't think i've I've ever experienced any other point in history where things were just so completely random
1: Mm -hmm. anything went
0: you know just everything that was happening there was no precedent there were no rules there were no i mean companies were being valued by by how much money they could spend how fast Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know yeah it's just everything just flew in the face of of everything else,
1: but it was exciting. It was exciting. It was fun. It was really fun. Yeah. The layoff stuff was a kind of a drag, but um, learning that I could just survive that kind of thing, uh, I was set for the rest of my career. I didn't really sweat that stuff anymore.
0: Yeah, and that's a valuable lesson. It's a valuable lesson to learn early. Yeah. Too that okay. I'm not dead. <laughs> not
1: dead. As long as,
0: this didn't stop me. If
1: you care about your craft, if you keep growing and stretching, and 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 making sure you're doing good work. The jobs will come because you've, whether you realize it or not, you've created a network of people that you've worked with before that you can tap into. And most of my jobs over the last 10 years, with the exception of the one I have right now, have come through other people that I know.
0: Yeah. People, you know, they say people make the world go around. They really truly do. Your relationships drive a lot of what happens. I mean, it's the reason I have a career. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's, this is all based on Personal interactions and, and relationships and, and the growth that happens comes from that as well. So I could not possibly agree with you more.
1: Yeah, it matters. It's it, it's a karma thing. I mean, I, I don't strictly believe in that, but I do believe in putting the best possible energy out there professionally. And it has come back to me several times. So
0: I think you're right about that. And and time has proven that true. Yeah. So I would like to ask you some quick hot seat questions. Here we go right? Let's see if I come up with some good ones. First, and this is one of my favorites. What word or phrase do you say far too
1: often? Awesome. (laughs) Really? Yeah. And I I used to use it ironically because I thought it was so silly, but it just sort of crept into my everyday language. And I I catch myself like, I can't say that in front of a client, (laughs) but everything is awesome with me.
0: (laughs) Well, maybe it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where you're, you're, you're willing things to be awesome.
1: Let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to help you. Thank you. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> I'm trying to help. Um, what is what is one talent or skill that you have that nobody knows about?
1: Um, because my life has taken such twists and turns, um, I've gotten into telling stories and writing. So I, I keep that to myself for now. I don't know if I'm going to do anything with it, but yeah, writing, fiction. Interesting. Yeah.
0: So have, have you, you've written a lot of fiction uh, over the years?
1: I'll, I'll write little stories, but I'm focusing a lot on it now. And I guess people will know because I'm saying it, but <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> um, right. yeah, it's, it's the kind of thing everybody wants to be an author. So I keep it to myself because it seems cliche, but yeah, I started writing. Yeah. But your work may be really good. It might be. We'll see. <laughs> I still haven't decided if I'm going to release it to the wild, but yeah.
0: yeah. That's awesome. And, it, and it's, even if you don't, I think it's awesome that you're doing it.
1: It's a good outlet. It's definitely a good outlet. So. Yeah. That's very cool.
0: So the proverbial desert island situation, and I'll, I'll broaden the category a little bit. You can have either one record to listen to or one movie hmm. or let's, let's broaden it even further or one book.
1: Oh, wow. What's it going to be? But not all of them. That's right. Um, well, the record won't do me any good on an island if I don't have electricity, right?
0: <laughs> hmm. Well, let's let's assume, for the sake of argument, you have a way to listen to it. You're. you're it's like Gilligan's Island. You create your own power source.
1: No, it would be music. I, um, Dave Brubeck, take five. Yeah, that would be mine.
0: Excellent choice. Excellent choice. Why?
1: It was. Um, my dad had a collection of jazz and R and B from like the '60s. 50s and 60s. And um, it was one of those things that I would sneak when he wasn't looking and listen to because he didn't want me touching his records. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a kid, little kid at the time and I didn't really understand what I was listening to because I didn't know what jazz was. I didn't even realize at the time that my own grandfather was a jazz music- musician because no one talked about it. Um, but I would play it over and over again. It would just make me happy. Just, yeah. it's just amazing. And I still do it. I still I still use that song Take Five to sort of you know amp myself up. Yeah, well it's an incredible record. Yeah. I mean, the whole the, thing. Um Paul Desmond's work is just, you know, amazing.
0: Staggering. I mean the depth the depth there and and the and the complexity that sort of comes across in such a clear, connected, I don't want to use the word simple, um, but it it's really I don't think you really realize people, most people don't really realize how complex that music is because it comes across so perfectly.
1: Mm -hmm. It's, it's extremely well-crafted and you know, you could get lost in the catchiness of it and not realize how many layers there are.
0: Yeah. I mean, there are certain things that are just so perfect that that, that they defy categorization. I mean, the first time I ever heard a love Supreme, um, I felt that way.
1: Yeah. That's a good one too. Yeah.
0: Oh my, God, are you kidding me? Yeah. And I I, personally, I love those types of experiences with music because I'm obsessed, but I love it when something floors me and I think, how did I live without this?
1: (laughs) And the transformative nature of it. It's just, you know, when you can have an experience in, especially in concert, which I haven't had in a long time, but yeah, there's some musicians that can just take you other places.
0: Mm -hmm. Go see. If you ever get the chance, go see Brian Blade and the Fellowship Band.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: Brian Blade's a drummer. Um, what style? It's jazz. Okay, but but they are mixing and melding so many different styles of music. A lot of it is very unexpected. But their their two favorite pieces of mine uh, is an album called Landmarks, mm-hmm. and the and the one that just came out is called Body and Shadow. They're both very meditative, very contemplative. Very atmospheric. Uh, These are two records that were both immediately like a desert island status for me.
1: Oh, wow. Okay.
0: Landmarks, when I got it, it it hasn't left my playlist for like three years.
1: I'll definitely check it out. That sounds great.
0: Like, you know, if if, if my house was on fire, (laughs) I would need to make sure that I had a copy of it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a strong recommendation. I will definitely check that out.
0: And my wife and I just went to see them and live is a whole different level. Blown away.
1: And it's good when someone you love is great live because often that's not the case. Yeah, I've been there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've certainly been yep. there. I kind of want to do one more before we wrap this up, and I'm trying to think. Okay,
1: it's like inside
0: the actor studio.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: You know, um, if you let's, let's this is another classic, but it's a good one. You get one wish, and the wish can't be for more wishes. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> it's always my go-to. What's it going to be? One wish. um, Yeah. What's it going to be?
1: That everybody starts listening to each other with open, open ears and open hearts.
0: I think that's perfect. That's perfect. And I think it absolutely describes who you are as a person from what I've witnessed so far.
1: Thank you for that. That means a lot. I I try, I I try really hard. Uh,
0: and, And for most of us, that's all we can do. Absolutely. I cannot thank you enough for spending time with me this morning. I deeply appreciate it. This was a truly enjoyable conversation and I hope we get to do it again soon.
1: It's been awesome, Joe. (laughs) I loved every minute of it. Thank you.
0: Awesome. Take care and have a fantastic weekend. You too. That wraps up this edition of Making UX Work. Thanks for listening. And I hope hearing these stories provides some useful perspective and encouragement, along with a reminder that you're not alone out there before i go i want you to know that you can find show notes and links to the things mentioned during our conversation by visiting givegoodux.com slash podcast you'll also find links to more ux resources on the web and social media along with ways to contact me if you're interested in sharing your own story here until next time this is joe natoli reminding you that it's people like you who make ux work